Bro, I have done. I, mean, I, I don't know if you heard, it? but we, we graduated today. So. Oh yeah, no, I heard. It. Congratulations, bro. Thank Proud you. You made it. Now what? <laughs> oh, no, by the way, I grind. By, by the way, I did not send an audition tape for Mamma Mia. Um, did you, you send anything? So I didn't. Yeah, I, I was going to do it, but then I was talking to Shaylin and I had forgot that I told her. I said, you know what? We're getting married in June, and I'd rather not throw myself into a show. I should. I'm just gonna relax and just stay home with you and just, you know, what I'm saying. And then you said you wanted to do it, and I was like. Anna Cheney says hi. He wanted to wave to you. Um, and I was like, you know what? I probably I probably shouldn't do it. And then you texted him, was like, I want to do it. And I was like, oh yeah, let's do it. And then Shaylin was like, uh, you told me that you were gonna stay home with me. Did you forget about that? I was like, <laughs> I'm, gonna just, I was like I'm gonna just I I'm gonna just act like I never said anything to Cheney, so he doesn't <laughs> I, I said like if you want to do it, like I'm down. Because I remember you mentioned it, and then I was it like, was, I did want to, but so wait, if you didn't want to, I was, I, I'm away from it. You're gonna, it's, you're gonna be home, so you know what I'm saying? It's not like, you'll I be mean, home for a little bit, so it'll be I'll all right. Make sure I'm not, all right? Uh, I get it. All right, you ready to get this thing started, my boy? Uh, give me like 10 minutes, imagine. Oh, right now, okay, here's you. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome back to a brand new episode of Afro Latinos, your favorite podcast of the week. This is your co-host, Alvin. And Chandler. And uh, today we are doing a very special episode. Uh, last week we talked about the Mortal Kombat movie, which we had nothing bad to say. We, we're excited. We've seen already updates um, over the last week of characters and confirmations and stuff that we're just excited for. And Cheney, I forgot to mention last week, I, I wanted to bring up the the uh, conversation of Tekken versus Mortal Kombat and see if you thought there was ever going to be a Tekken movie and whether it would have been any good. No. But we'll, we'll save that not. for another day. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You ever play, have you ever played Tekken? I play like all four. Oh, word? I used to have one of them. I used to have Tekken Tag. It's my favorite game. I used to I used to grind on that. The one dude who went like this. Oh, yeah. The, uh, I forgot his name. But yeah, he was the yeah. best. I can't remember who he was or what he did either. He yeah, it was a great time. I thought he was Brazilian. Doesn't really matter because that's not what we're here to talk it's, about. Today. It's one of them, but yes. <laughs> Joining the show today, we have a very special friend of the podcast, uh, Mr. Noah Fenstermacher. We're going to bring into the broadcast here in just a second. Um, but he is here to talk about uh, his brand new book that is coming up in several short months uh, called College admissions of guilt uh so without further ado make a lot of noise in the comments uh let us know give uh, give our man noah a, a lot of uh, attention here mr noah fenstermacher sir welcome to the show thank you for having me i'm just happy to be here absolutely we are happy to have you uh so noah you are a recent graduate of shikalemi high school within the last how many years couple couple years yep you're the class of 2016, man, that's a not that long ago. Five years already. It's been a long time, time ago, though. <laughs> it, trust me, I graduated in 2014. So imagine how I feel. And yeah. then there's Cheney, who just graduated in 2018. So then, I don't hear none of that. that. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so we, yeah, we're 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 all old heads here. Um, but Noah, you know, I appreciate you joining the show with us today. Once I saw uh this book college missions of guilt was coming out i looked at it and i said this is everything that that afro latinos is about uh, and so we wanted to give you the opportunity today to share your space 
and share this space with you and, and, and promote yourself and your book that's coming out. But Noah, let's uh, let you take this opportunity to um, tell the fans who you are, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, where you come from, who you are, all that fun stuff. So go ahead and take stuff. the stage. Okay, without further ado, hello everybody. My name is Noah Fenstermacher. As you point out, I'm a Shikalemi grad. I'm a university grad. I'm a Penn State grad student right now for higher education. And I was born and raised here in PA. I love this state. I love the people. I want to help out in that regard. And so I thought, how can I combine passion with profit, right? I'm a first-gen mm, student. I'm lower income, non-white. There's a lot of things that I had to wrestle with, especially going into a uh, predominantly white space that is higher education. And in doing mm -hmm. so, I thought, you know, a lot of folks like me, whether it be they look like me or they're first-gen or lower income, we don't know what we don't know. So what mm. if we had a comprehensive college prep course in book form? And I thought also, what do I know? You know, I'm 23 <laughs> years old. I don't know anything about that. I want to go into that career field, but if I don't know who does. So I found college presidents. I found I think alumni, award-winning professors, and Forbes list makers in the education sector. And I thought, let's get their stories and go from there. So it's going to be mm. a collection of my personal story but also success for those who've done it, or who learned from that, and cautionary tales of folks who are mm. like, listen, here's what I would do. You don't hear enough about that often. And so yeah, we hear about yeah. the failures and success of those who are like us and what we can learn from that. Wow, that's a, a lofty goal. And what drove you? There's so many questions that come to mind as, as you started talking there. Um, and a lot of things that I want to think about, and I wish I would have had a pen so I could have written them down because I'm going to forget something. Um, but you mentioned in, in your little introduction, um, you share some of your story in, in the book. So can you share some of that story with us that drove you to this point? Definitely, definitely. So... As I went into, especially undergrad, I realized that I was underprepared. And maybe that's on me, maybe that's on the system, I don't know. But for lack of a better word, I was not ready for a lot of the finer details of higher education. Mm. I understood about the hard work ethic and we got the financial under control, but it's these little things. The registrar's office, residence mm. life, student life, different ways to get uh, financial aid, scholarship money. I got a bit but I didn't realize I'd get so much more and how the inner works of that environment worked until I got there. And so I'm thinking, okay, well, if I could tell my story, the success and the failure, that could be a nice framework then to go into other stories, right? The, the Greek life, there's anti-hazing, there's diversity. At one point, I interviewed a Klansman. That's a whole chapter in the book. It's me finding a Klansman, interviewing him, talking about that, going back to the university and launching a diversity initiative based off that experience. So it's, it's things like that. So if that interests you, there's stuff like that in the book. I gotta say, um, Noah, that 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 um, um, you're brave for that one. <laughs> uh, brave, and some might say stupid, but I, I, you know what? I appreciate more than anything the willingness to step out of one's comfort zone, and, and I mean to really step out of your comfort zone in that case. I mean, I'm sure that wasn't easy for you to do, and to really get that interaction, which a lot of people, you know, don't have. Um, and there are so many things you're right that that when you get to higher education, there's a lot of one of the things I hate most about education as an educator is the jargon. Right. So we get so caught up in 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 
the language of higher education that someone who is new, for example, a first generation student who would not have that experience or that acumen to be able to navigate that space would have no idea what what's going on. Like for, for myself, you know, as a as a Hispanic and a black male, you know, I of course there were things I had to overcome. However, I come from a great sense of privilege in this case. Uh, my parents are both college educated. My dad has a, ba- uh, a doctorate degree. My mom is currently working on her doctorate degree. So I come from a home of educators. I come home of, from a home of very educated folk. And my dad worked at the university that I graduated from. So, you know, he was a professor at the time and an academic advisor. And so I never in my college career felt like I was at a loss of education or access because I had the privilege of saying, hey, dad, uh, I need to figure out how to do this. Can you tell me? Can you help me? But a lot of people are not like that and they don't have the ability to do so. And so you mentioned yourself being a a first generation student. Can you tell me what that transition was like for you to decide, first of all, I want to go into higher education. I want to further my studies at a postgraduate, a high school graduate level um, and what that was like for you and your family in, in navigating those spaces that they had never been in and, and where you found your sense of uh, help. And, you know, I don't, I could keep asking asking questions, questions, but go ahead and answer the one that I asked. (laughs) Yeah, I am the oldest of three. So anybody out there with a big family, I'm the test kid, basically. So naturally, (laughs) for those who have gone through the FAFSA, oh, my God, that's that's a nightmare. Oh, I never had to touch it. I never even dealt until graduate school. I never even tried to think about it. And then I got to graduate school. and I was trying to do my FAFSA. And I'm like, I don't know what any of this stuff is. And I'm still looking for dad to help me because it's just so much stuff that you it's too much. But <laughs> I was doing that at what 18 years old along with everybody else in my class, and it's just oh my god. So it's you're the first kid to go, not just in the family, but like in your group right there. So once you even get there, you think, okay, well, I've gotten past the hard part, right? I've gotten past the financial aid, the, the touring, the, the colleges. I'm actually here on campus. Like you said, it's so much about we don't know we don't know. And so mm-hmm. it might not be that we're at a disadvantage we don't have the same advantages of everybody else there. They know to go, oh, I want to uh, switch a class here. I'll go to this office right here. All right, we'll go to that office. Oh, well, I didn't know about this. They didn't cover this in orientation. And Mm -hmm. it's those little things right there that give you a disadvantage going into the field. So for me, the family's like, you're book smart in that regard. You like doing this stuff. Pursue your passion. But hey, this is a blue-collar family, right? So it's like, Relate it back to what can make you money. That was always a big part of it was be practical, passionate, but practical. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Did you ever find yourself having difficulty on, on either campus that you've been in? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that, that you have to deal with a lot of uh, feelings and personal um, roadblocks that you run into based on race, based on socioeconomic status, based on a lot of things. And even at your, your level, you know, I'm sure that stuff rears its ugly head. And so are there ever any experiences or really things that, that you look at that you find are just hard to get through and days that are just kind of hard to really stand true to yourself in, in that sense? Does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to think of like the way to put this. I have an answer. I'm trying to phrase it correctly here. And the best way I can think of is in a predominantly white space where I am not white, I can see why it can be very tiring. 
to have mm. to almost Both. defend your existence and why you're feeling the way you do on a daily basis. Absolutely. Knowing that for some people and the institution as a whole, it might not make that big of a difference. It's a yeah. personal problem that on its own, if it was handled right there, oh, it wouldn't be a problem at all. But if it just keeps coming up, it makes you think mm. a little discouraged on occasion. Like, oh, what's the point of this? I work with um, SMART. It's the Student Minority Advisor and Recruitment Team at Penn State University Park. So it's mostly black and brown students. And so every day we are trying our best to make Penn State a more diverse community and making good progress. We have great administrators and great systems in that regard. But it can be demoralizing when you've worked so hard on a project and just like that, because someone doesn't understand, I'm not going to better word, they don't understand mm. it, it gets derailed. That can be a bit demoralizing. And, I, and I've been there. So last, it was the last school year, around the time of the, we know the unrest that has been happening over the last several years that has been really rampant throughout the United States in terms of racial uh, discrimination. We see the police brutality, all of those things and all of those issues that have come up. So there was an effort that was started at my school. And I was one of those was, along with uh, Ms. Gittins, who you probably remember. I'm sure you know for, fairly well. She and I started a, a club with the help of our principal, um, because he was interested in how do we make Shikalemi a better place for students of color? How do we get students of color involved in clubs? How do we get them involved in you know after school programs? And how do we get them more invested in their school and in their school pride? And so we we attempted, and it it started off going well. Um, a club, and, and its initial intent was was called the Diversity Club. Okay, so. The idea was to make Shikalemi an inclusive place. Um, and without going into too many details, it, it was a success, I, I think, for the two meetings that we got to have before COVID destroyed the world. Um, but even in creating that space for students, we wanted to kind of we wanted to try and find a way to create a space where all students felt like they were welcome. And I think a lot of times as I'm sure you've seen, whenever we start to talk about issues of diversity, and as soon as we mention the word diversity, immediately people's minds go to black and white. When really diversity is so much more than that, everything that makes you a person is what makes you diverse. But the initial reaction is, oh, if I say we're going to start a diversity club, this club is only for black and brown students. And that's the only people who we want to belong. And so I had this inner struggle and inner turmoil trying to figure out how can we make this club accessible to all so that no one has an excuse or has a reason to say that club is not for me because that club is for them. And so we, we ended up uh, changing the name to uh, You Matter Club because who's like going to it. say you don't matter? So whomever wants to be there, you know, if you're that one person saying that that person doesn't matter, then you really have to take an introspective look at yourself because, I mean, yeah. that's a pretty shallow thing to say. Um, and so, you know, we, we try to make those efforts to try and make our students feel like they belong in a place that at times can be very difficult to navigate. As you said, predominantly white spaces as a predominantly white, non-white person, very difficult thing to do. There are so many times when we have to look at ourselves and say, okay, I can't say this in this space because it would not be okay. I cannot dress a certain way at times because, you know, it would be looked at negatively. And so navigating predominantly white spaces and a non-white individual is something that we all have to deal with, unfortunately, as unfortunate as it is. But I think that 
finding ways to help young people uh, do that successfully is, is truly the, the best way to go. Um, so in your book, College Admissions of Guilt, do you, do you would you say that the audience is primarily uh, oriented towards those students who are pursuing a higher education career or going to study further their studies past high school? Absolutely. Who is your intended yes. audience? The intended audience here is going to be prospective college students, so those who are in high school. I want to go into college. What is that like? What can I compare myself mm -hmm. for uh, those who maybe first years who say, I'm here, but I got some questions, all the way up to graduation. We go all the way from picking a school, getting to that school, succeeding there, and then hopefully, if that's your decision, to find a job right when you leave mm -hmm. that university. So you have a whole walkthrough from year one to year four or however long it takes to get that degree. What led you to the book? What was your inspiration and aspiration when when starting to write? When you first penned that first word or typed that first word on the computer, what was your intent? What drove you to that point? What led you to wanting to write a book? Because at a young age, that that is a daunting task to be able to write a book, as you said. Definitely, definitely. Um, I wanted to provide what I wish was provided for me. I look back and mm. think a lot of well-meaning folks did a lot of seminars, a lot of programs, a lot of activities. And it would be, again, generalities here, it would be very, that's word for, yeah, actually gen general. It was a very general program. It would hit on the average thing. But when I mm -hmm. had a specific question, it didn't seem like folks were prepared to delve into that, especially for... Mm. The diversity elements, whether it be students of color, first gen, a lower income, they'd be like, "Oh, well, I'm not sure about the over here." It would just be a mm -hmm. call that, goose chase of mm -hmm. dead ends here. And I thought, what if I could gather all these details, all this info, put it into one place, and then give you a convincing narrative to say, "Well, what if I don't want to read a book about a bunch of facts?" And that's not a bunch of facts; it's stories, because we've been shown that we are more drawn to say. Faces over facts, names mm. over numbers, and stories over statistics. So if I can wrap all of this boring stuff up in a story about real people like you and I, then people are more likely to read it and actually benefit from it. Absolutely. I think that's great. And Cheney, you can kind of speak to this a little bit as well. This quest for penning the right words. As Cheney, you know, you and I have talked over several occasions uh, and this is kind of different facets of life in the way that this operates. But, you know, for myself in music, when when I'm trying to like there are a couple songs that I'm that I've been writing for forever. And and I know what I want to say, but I, I can't find the words to say it. And Cheney uh, has started some books and, you know, some scripts for his school and things. And so at times we find we hit that wall and we we can't figure out how to go forward. And so for you, did it come easy for you to, like you said, I mean, you you talked to a lot of people. Was it easy for you to go out and find those people and to get those stories to tell and share those stories with you? And did it ever come to a point in your writing process where you said, I, I just can't find the right words to say, I don't exactly know how to portray what I want to portray and I should just give up? Were, were you ever wrestling with those feelings? Yeah, so initially, it was just the rush, right? You start with the mm. rush, 
and you got everything coming at once. All the stories. Yep, he's not a lot. All the stories, <laughs> all the ideas, and you're getting it all done, and you're loving it. And then I look at the next day, and I'm like, this is stupid. I, I just want the idea to form in a way that's it's not connecting with me. I need it to flow in such a way that by the end of each chapter, you're like, that is powerful. A mini story right mm. there. Song you want it to pick every stanza, every verse. Like, yes, this is all needed. Another tough part is, uh, what is it, Kill Your Darlings here about the revision process because you can't have everything made to that final draft. And so mm -hmm. when it came to that, it's like, oh, what do you cut? If anything, yeah. or even if I, I don't want to cut the story, but how do I get this down to a digestible source? Mm. And specifically here, some stories were harder to tell than others. For me, it's always like, it's, it's just me. I, I can do mm -hmm. this, right? It's just me. It's all the story. I met the Klansman, got stabbed in South Africa. I could just talk about that all day. Things for me. But then I'm when sorry. I talk, did you just say stabbed in South Africa? I, I did say that, yeah. That is a whole chapter. And you're just book. you're just glancing over the fact that you just oh, okay. No, no, that's no, that's fine. I mean, I get no, no, it's fine. You don't have to give away everything, but I, I just feel like some some stories should not be. I mean, it's, it's, talk to a uh, clan member, stab in South. Like those things are not just like everyday occurrences that you just oh yeah, you know, I stubbed my toe on the wall when I was walking to the kitchen. Like that's it. There's a few stories like that in the book. But again, for me, it's just like, oh, yeah, that, that, that happened to me a few years ago. Okay, pen that down. But there's there's some deeper conversation. One that really sticks out to me conversation-wise is without giving away the name and full story, there is a student from a, a large university who was killed in, an anti in a hazing incident. And his parents founded a whole organization around anti-hazing because of the loss of their son. And so I was this student's girlfriend's RA when I was an undergrad. And so I used that connection to reach out to them. And it was by far the hardest conversation to have with these parents of a kid that I knew really and talk about their son in the past tense. And I wanted to make sure that I did this story right. So I can definitely feel like the I, I want to make sure I get every detail right, every word chosen carefully just so you don't offend you want to make sure that the right story is told the right way and things like mm -hmm. that. Cause this is, this is big stuff. For a lot of people talk about anti-hazing, tell your story the correct way, representation, success, um, imposter syndrome, the big part of the book is like folks who feel like, you know, I belong here. I want to make sure that I talk to the right people to give the right facts. That way I'm not just out here talking away and it's not actually helping anyone. Absolutely. Were there ever any, writer's block moments where he just wanted to give up and just move on to to another project because i i know i feel that way these songs i've been i've been sitting on these two songs for forever and i just for me in the songwriting process is I, i'm stuck at i can tell you exactly what i'm stuck at and this is what drives me nuts and i cannot figure out how to break it um i have a song that i started writing in the midst of the police brutality era um, and it's and it's all about identity and how someone sees themselves and how they want others to see them. Because, you know, as a minority student and as a minority person, you know, we often get placed into those boxes, but we just want to be us. Like We never want to just be another black person or another whatever. We just want to be able to be a person. And so I want you to see me for me, not for the color of my skin, not from my background, not from all of those things. You know what I what I hate the most about the song? I cannot get past the fact that everything that I've written so far rhymes. 
and I and I hate it because the song I feel like is super powerful, right? And I feel like it is like when I wrote it, I wrote it in in a moment of um, pure emotion and passion. And I started writing words, and I had no idea where the words were coming from. But then when I looked down at the paper, everything rhymed, and it made me so mad. And I cannot figure out how to keep the idea while getting rid of the rhyme scheme. And I just want to give up, but I don't want to give up because I love the song. So has there ever been a moment for you in your writing process where you just said, I, I cannot do this anymore because I cannot get past whatever that is. This stanza is too long. This paragraph is too much. I'm not getting enough out of what I wanted. I thought this would be six pages and it ended up being two and, and there needs to be more. What was that like for you? And Chaney, I think you might've had some, you unmuted your mic. So it looked like you were going to say something. Oh, so you can jump um, in point if you want. I was just going to say, I, I started with an idea and I have the story played out in my head. And then I got to a point where I was like, okay, I can, I can go back rewrite make it more uh specific less less straight to the point because everything seemed like it was just you know i i said this and i feel like i didn't have enough enough things going on before i got into you know like the action and, and stuff like that and um i I, it's been months since i touched it because i put it down and i don't even want to write the same story anymore i was like i don't I feel like I, I I I liked it at first. I was so into it at first. I was like, "Oh, this is a great idea," and I, I'm going with it. And then I look back and I'm like, "I don't think it's good enough." I, I feel like I need to write a whole another story. So I'm stuck on that. Also, I like what you said at the very end, though. If you don't mind me jumping in real quick, I feel like I need to write another story, and I, I really resonate with that—the need to write the story and to answer Abed's question. That's how it got me through those periods of writer's block and should I keep going and should I even be able to write this and get the right people is this story needs to be told and it's not going to be told perfectly. You know, I could sit here all day. It's not going to be told perfectly, but I will do the best that I can open to the conversation of what could I have done better, but to at least get that conversation started, to get that advice out there, to get that ball rolling. So for at least somebody out there, they're saying, you know what? I did not consider that aspect of a campus champion or an affinity group or this or that and have that bit of advice for you. For me, at the very end of the book, it's about wrapping up a story. And it's trying to find, because again, everything in the book is true. But you have to condense four years of my life into a few pages, which means, okay, do, we, do you cut here? Do you skip that detail for clarity? And it's deciding, how do you end it? Do you end it at this point where it's, more or less wrapped up, or do you leave it unresolved? And do you leave it as if that open-ended story? Because again, life is the, it's not over. We're all still here. It's still going on. And not every story has a happy ending. And I guess that's where I'll leave it at for now. But mm. you can learn just as much from the happy ever after as you can from the bad ending. That's, that's a great point. Um, and you said something, and I'm I'm doing like 18 different things right now, so I'm trying to focus on and, and recall because there's like a million thoughts going through and a million things I want to say to you at every moment, and I just cannot. It's just, they're escaping. Um, but I, I love what you said 
that at some point the story needs to be told because there's a reason that this was such an important thing for you, right? There's a reason, Cheney, for you that that story came into your mind because whether it was, you know, the beginning of beginning and end of that story, there was something in there for you. And and in the, the songwriting process, like I know that there is something in this story and in this song that needs someone needs to hear this because it has the ability to change someone's world. And so no, I want to commend you for taking that step that's that a lot of people won't take. A lot of people, and I was just listening to another podcast and and they said um something that I'm I'm gonna try and paraphrase and remember kind of what they said. They said um that if, and I, and I love the sentiment, if God has given you something and you decide not to use it, he will give that thing to somebody else. That dream and that aspiration you have had, you know, if you don't use it, God is going to find a way to, to use it for you or to find it the way to, for it to happen. And so that story, that idea that was placed inside of you, you know, it was meant for you to be told. That's why it was there for you. And so, no, I want to commend you for taking that step that a lot of people won't take and doing that and pursuing your goal and your dream because someone is going to be touched by one of the stories in your book. Otherwise, Otherwise there would have been no reason for you to have written the story. So I want to thank you for sharing that that opportunity and that space with, with others. Um, I, I truly feel like it is going to change someone's world. And I think that there's definitely a reason that was given to you. So congrats and thank you. Thank you. I appreciate those words. I feel like for those who don't know, I may have said already here, but I'm a transracial adoptee. So I am a black kid adopted into a white family. My other brother, Jonah, also adopted black kid into a white family. And then we have our youngest brother, Luke, who is a redhead. And the biological <laughs> son of our adopted parents. So we are quite, yeah, we're quite a pack moving through the streets where it's, oh, who's, all right. <laughs> you know, in central, central PDA, they're like, that is, that's notable. But mm -hmm. just that unique experience, I want to say in the book, as with, and I'm chatting you about this, but for any story, the main character goes through a sense of metamorphosis. They change, they grow, they have mistakes. And I thought, I hope that by being vulnerable and saying, listen, I was raised in a white community, in a white family, with white friends, all this stuff. I get having that not, not what was the book here, not trying to be racist, not trying to be discriminatory, but even unintentionally mm. harming others and saying the implicit biases, yeah. Exactly. And I'm admitting to that within the book and saying, I've gone from this point to this point. And heck, that's why I said by the end, you're still growing. You're always mm -hmm. still growing. But I'm hoping that by admitting to that, it allows others to say, you know what? Maybe I too have some of that implicit bias within me. What can you do to confront that and kind of work through it right there? So that's a big part of, I have to write this book to get that message out there and really help out with the ongoing conversation in our nation today. Absolutely. And I, my parents get mad at me a lot because I have come to a point in my life where I, I've spent a lot of time in life allowing others to speak for me and allowing other people to speak things over me that I did not believe and attribute to myself. For example, one of those implicit biases or one of those, uh, what do they call them? Microaggressions that people have said. And Noah, I'm sure you've heard many like these and Cheney yourself as well. We've talked about this Cheney on previous episodes of the podcast. One that really got to me um, over time was you are the whitest black person I've ever met. Um, because 
it, it carries such weight and everyone always says it in you know this joking manner but they don't realize the power of what they're really saying and the racism that they're really holding on to when they say that because what you're telling me is your idea of blackness is you know a, a thug or listens to rap music or etc et what this what a lot of movies unfortunately portray us as that is all that you see black people as. And so you don't see me as black because that's not the way that I carry myself. And that's not the way that I act. It's not the way that I choose to live my life. Um, and so we we hear that a lot. And we have those friends. Again, I, you know, I was not born in central Pennsylvania, but I've lived here for over 20 years of my life. So the majority of my life has been spent in this area in a predominantly white space. And I used to not say anything but have now not been afraid to say and educate people because I just feel like education is so powerful and that, yes, there are times when I should probably shut up. And especially on Facebook, I've gotten into many arguments and disagreements with people about many different political issues, many different issues that I feel are important to me. And I feel like if I can just say one thing to educate them in realizing the issue, um, they can change. It hasn't worked yet, Noah, uh, but I'm going to keep trying, even though they, I, I'm going to behave myself because my parents have asked me not to. Um, you know, I, I'm not going to get into those discussions as much. And I've removed most of those people that I had those qualms with. But at the same time, I feel like in doing that, I'm doing a disservice because, you know, my voice is now being stifled and those negative thoughts or those those potentially harmful thoughts are going to be continued you know, if if I don't have that opportunity to say something. Um, and so I'm sure, like yourself, you have run into that a lot. Do you want to share any of those experiences? Absolutely. Uh, throughout the book, I'm, I start from a young age, and it's that, you'd say, implicit bias, that internalized racism, maybe against myself, and then coming to terms with that when you get to uh, university, where you get a more colorful impression of different cultures coming together, and then you want to do the best that you get. It's almost, it's almost like your own personal journey of those who are raised in an environment like this but are looking like this and how they, they come to terms with it. And they eventually come to a point of, this is a very complex issue. And it's going to take some nuance to really get things that I want to just scream and shout when I see certain elements and actions because how can you think this way and do this? Sometimes you do. <laughs> but... In order to affect real change, it does take that nuance. It does take that overall structural change, and that is a slower one to come about. And I think we're all to the same thing here about we want to do that. We mm -hmm. don't want to just get the one person here or there. I want it to be structural change so that it does not happen again to the generation after us. And that's what we're all trying to work for here. Again, why do the book? Because people have to say, oh, you went to a Klansman? Why? Because he's not just some far-off threat over in the woods. You know, He is living in town. He's your neighbor. He's with your kids. Sure. It's a very pertinent and present threat. And I'm talking with that. I go to South Africa. You mentioned here already about people think diversity is black and white. South Africa, the whole chapter is like, oh, I, I was talking to someone there about being black in South Africa. And he said, first of all, I hate that y'all over there say, african-american mm -hmm. you were never in africa we're yeah. africa you're mm -hmm. american you're a black mm -hmm. american so mm -hmm. like, okay, unique perspectives here that it's like 
for a lot of folks are just I, I can't believe it. You said about being the whitest, the whitest black guy. Mm-hmm. I was over here like, yes, because I've always been told that. And the worst part is that it's like it almost stops on your best memories because oh, you absolutely. Just something great. I'm like, oh, I got to like 46 place in speech and debate with my story i'm like oh this is great i'm a great speaker i love doing this and they're like wow clap on the back you're the whitest black guy i've ever met which just means when you succeed when you worked Mm. hard when you accomplished your dreams that's not what you're supposed to do that's Mm -hmm. something i would do but not Mm. you and i'm like wow put it in perspective so i try to put these stories in there so folks out there might be like wow I do that. Maybe I shouldn't, right? And it's like, yeah, yeah, oh my God. Yeah. Hopefully, all these mini stories these stories to big revelation. And that's the thing that I think is so important and why I always just keep doing it and keep sending myself down the rabbit hole of stress. Is I feel like the education aspect is so important that just that one, you know, you say the one thing that changes someone's mind and then they stop that from saying it to another person. They And I've tried, Cheney, I'm going to put you on blast here, um, and our friend group, right? So one of the things that I don't ever allow in my classroom is there are two words, I'm pretty lenient in my classroom, but there are two words that you are never allowed to use in my classroom um, because they're always used incorrectly. One is the word retard or retarded, um, and the other is gay. A lot of people will say, oh, that math test was gay or man, I don't want to do this work. It's retarded. And I stop them immediately because that's not what they're trying to say. But in using those particular words, you are negating and hurting anyone who is gay or anyone who is retarded, has a mental retardation because you are attributing something negative to those adjectives. And so I always stop them and say, listen, you're not using those words. It's day one. These are things that I don't want to, that you're not allowed to say. And I'll have, it's the funniest thing. And I love it so much because I know it means I've made a change for at least a second, whether it's in my classroom or outside of the classroom. Whenever one of my students says it, they look at me or they look at each other and it's like, hey, you're not supposed to say that in here. And they're like, oh, sorry, Mr. Johnson. And Cheney and our friend group, they do it all the time. And it's so yeah. funny. It's so, it, those two words in particular are so inherently rooted in like gaming culture. And so anytime like we're playing games together, someone will say it and then they'll remember that I'm there and they'll say, oh, sorry, Alvin. And like, yes, if I can get someone to recognize that what they said was problematic in the moment, yes, like I consider it a win. Even if they do it again, they'll recognize it was a problem there, and let's let's change that and curb that behavior. So I consider those little wins to be wins, even though they are on a super small scale, because eventually that will change into a grander scale. As much as we want to make this sweeping change all at once and change everyone's behaviors, if we can do it at a small scale, eventually it will go on to the larger scale. Absolutely, absolutely. I think it's like what – it takes the first pebble to get the avalanche to roll and you know, change yeah. happen overnight. You need to be able to start with the one person, the one person's thoughts into their actions. Those actions have consequences and they can create policy change, but it does start with mm-hmm. one person saying enough's enough. Let's change things up. Yeah. Jenny, were you going to say something? I don't think so. 
Okay. I was just, I, you looked like you were interested in saying something. So I just wanted to make sure I didn't skip you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, this, this is something that I am very passionate about and something that I really attempt to make those changes every day. And so for you, Noah, sharing those stories that, you know, for some people might be the first time they've ever encountered something like that, right? And for these college students to be navigating potentially a new space for them, you know, they're going to be able to look at your book and look at these chapters and say, okay, now I'm not the only one that feels this way. Because I think a lot of times we feel like, oh, you know, this circumstance is happening to me. This is the, I, I must be the only person who's ever been able to go through this or had to navigate this. And I have to do it by myself because no one else has ever done it. Um, and so I think that one one thing that I'm very excited to read this book um, is that we are going to be able to uh, see I'm not alone. And there's someone else that's gone before me that has dealt with this. And oh, this person is not, you know, like me, but they're still going through similar things. And so I think that that's going to open up the world for them also. Definitely, definitely. The goal is to build community. And we're so glad to partner up with, what is it now, the New Community College for Susquehanna Valley. So for those who are just like, you know what, I need the book for me. They buy that book for that. That's great. If you're sitting there like, you know what, I'm not a college student. I'm, I don't need that. You can always buy a copy and then donate it back to Chickalemi High School or donate some money towards that cause. And they can still then use it for a high school student that might have it in need. They get that donated book and you help found a new community college for Squahetta Valley, which is, again, providing access and resources here for the people in our community. We always talk about like, what we could do. I'm trying to actually put it into action. Right. Say, well, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing we can do right now. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, so this is, for those of you who are watching, this is the, the book, College Missions of Guilt, How the Underserved Student Can Still Succeed by our guest, no offense to Mocker. Um, and just the last thing, and then you're welcome to share any final thoughts. But I, I have one itching question that I'm in, very intrigued uh, to understand. Can you tell us, Noah, um, we, I understand the subtitle, the, subtitle. the underserved the student can still succeed because that's what we want inevitably to show. Why and what led you to the title "College Admissions of Guilt"? What is the the uh, deriving sentiment behind the guiltiness that one would feel in college admissions? What led you to the title? What led me to the title? Here we go. <laughs> so, to make a long, long story short, think about those news stories you would see about the college admission scandal and how mm. they got into the schools. And it wasn't because they worked hard, because their parents had money, because they were legacy students, because of this, that, and the third. And we, we tell higher education as this meritocracy, and it can be, but in the wrong hands by the wrong administrators, it can be a very unfair system. Sure. And that is a reality we have to face. So administrators work together, as I would hope to be, to solve this unfairness and make it more equitable. Not equal, equitable. Equal is giving everybody the same treatment, which again, on the outset, treatment is equal, but sure. equitable is treating people differently to make them all the same. It's yes. meeting them at where they are needed. Mm -hmm. And that is why it's the college admissions of guilt is because, listen, this ain't fair. What you've been told is just, oh no, just work harder. No, I'm sorry. That is not mm -hmm. the case. 
That is why this book exists, to help us all move forward with all these inequities to be a much better, more equitable college. But someone has to be the whistleblower and say, you know what? This is not fair. That is the college admission of guilt. Wow, that's powerful. And I appreciate you sharing that because I think that that will connect to a lot of people also uh, understanding where the book really comes from. And your purpose and your mission for this book is truly phenomenal. And uh, Cheney, before we end, do you have anything you wanted to add to the conversation? Do you have any questions or anything else? No, no, no. Okay. Noah, uh, I want to thank you again for joining the podcast today. For Thank you uh, so much for sharing your story. Please do us a favor and share um, when and where people can find this book, College Ambitions of Guilt. Um, any final thoughts you have on the book about the mission statement? Um, let the people know so that they can make sure to get a copy. Of course, of course. Thank you for the opportunity. So the big one is, is about three days left in our Indiegogo campaign. I can make that link available to you all here. But that's where you can pre-sale order and make sure you get an advanced copy. Other than that, it's going to be late August of this year where you can get it on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. So it's going to be opportunities obviously to get it from there at that point. And as a final thought for this whole session here, my advice for folks is to find their affinity group. There's like a tagline. If there be any tagline to the book, you're first, but you're not alone. As you pointed out, a lot of folks feel like I'm the only going through this, or this is the only thing that I feel about, or it's not that big of a deal, this, that, the third. And we're saying, no, those thoughts, those feelings, they are valid. Here are many folks who have gone through before. Look at them. They have doctorates. They're leading this. They can be your campus champion to walk you through it. Find your affinity group of peers or near peers that can actually work with you to succeed and achieve all that we know that you can. All right, I think you cut out there at the end, but I think I think we might have gotten the rest of that. So again, uh, College Admissions of Guilt, Noah is going to share that link with me so I can share it on our Facebook page um, so that people can get that pre-sale. We want to make sure that we flood Noah and and flood the, the internet with this message. And uh, we want to support him as much as we can here from the Afro-Latinos family. I am definitely going to be getting a book and I would, and I, and I hate reading. So it's got to be something really interesting to get me to buy a book. But this is one that I will definitely be purchasing and perusing. It'll be the first one in my, in my bookshelf. Um, so thank you so much, Noah, for joining. I am going to be putting the link on the bottom. Oops, I just clicked on it. The, the bottom of the screen here now so you all can see it again those who are watching so please make sure that you check this link out it's here i'm going to post it again on our facebook page um this is the link for the pre-sale for college admissions of guilt how the underserved student can still succeed by our guest no offense to mocker noah thank you so much for joining the podcast today we appreciate you we support you. We want you to know that we here from Afro-Latinos appreciate your mission, and we are going to do everything that we can to help out. Thank you for having me. I'm just happy to be here. Absolutely. I don't uh, say much, but Alvin speaks for the both of us. <laughs> so. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, we appreciate you from the Afro-Latinos family. Uh, this is your co-host, Alvin. And Chandler. Please make sure to check us out on Facebook, YouTube, and our Twitch channel. We'll see you again Tuesday night for another fascinating episode of You Think You Know. Uh, this has been another episode of Afro-Latinos. Peace out, everybody.